0: The first school we went to, I just asked one of the girls. I said, "Oh, where do we really go to the bathroom?" And she pointed behind some bushes. And so then I started asking everywhere, both at uh, households and at schools. And that's when the stories started to come out.
1: Without access to a bathroom, what would your school days have been like? It may seem like a strange question, but in much of the developing world, it's a serious issue. Today, on Radio Harris, we're joined by the newest member of the Chicago Harris faculty, Assistant Professor Anjali Adukia. Professor Adukia, thank you for joining me.
0: Great to be here.
1: Her research tries to understand the factors that influence educational decisions and how to improve child outcomes in education and health. Her current work is examining how providing basic needs, like sanitation, clothing, transportation, can increase school participation in developing nations. Today, we'll be talking about her doctoral dissertation, which found that access to latrines had enormous benefits for school children in India. So, you just got back from presenting your paper at the APAM conference, that's the Association for Public Policy Analysis and Management, where you received the prestigious award for Best Dissertation of 2014. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a great honor. And we're going to talk at length about what you found in your thesis and the amazing impact that it's having But first, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about what it took you to produce that thesis. In particular, I stumbled across an incredible story on the Internet, true story involving you, your Ph.D. research, and a monkey. I was wondering if I ought (laughs) to share
0: with us. Yes, absolutely. Sure. there was this great this uh, great data set that was collected by the government of India that I had found out about in Delhi. And so I had spent the better part of a year trying to collect these, these data from the office in Delhi. And there are these very hardworking people, three people in particular, who work in this basement office in Delhi collecting these data. And they had finally been able to give me these data. And uh, I immediately had to go to the field, to some communities, to do some interviews. And so I wasn't immediately able to make a copy of the data. But I was on my way to copy these data. And in on one hand, I had the DVD of data. in the other hand, I had a banana. And it was in Ahmedabad. And suddenly this monkey rolled up and grabbed the DVD out of my hand and just took off. And I lost all composure. I just started running after that monkey saying extremely colorful language. (laughs) Uh, and, um, And I don't know what came over me, but I suddenly just kind of stopped and realized that I had this, an object in my other hand. And I just kind of chucked the banana at this monkey and... Whatever divine powers around that day, somehow I hit the monkey in the back of the head. And uh, I apologized to that monkey for any harm I caused it. But it didn't seem to be bothered, but it dropped the DVD and kind of looked around and you know, grabbed the banana, thankfully, <laughs> and ran <laughs> off. But, you know, it could have been really dangerous. This monkey could have come after me. But thankfully, right. uh, my my data were, were safe. And I, to this day, I actually have kept the jewel box that has a big crack from it. From so, the monkey. From the monkey.
1: <laughs> a heroic rescue and... For a heroic cause, uh, because <laughs> the data um, ended up being pretty important to your extremely. Dissertation.
0: No, I mean that was That's the uh, the yeah the foundation behind my <laughs> my <great>. my findings. <laughs>
1: and your thesis was called "The Role of Basic Needs in Educational Decisions." Uh, so essentially, you wanted to find out uh, what happens when latrines and sex-specific latrines, in particular, were introduced to Indian schools. Um, it's very specific. Policy issue. What got you interested in the role of sanitation facilities in the first place?
0: So, uh, before graduate school, I spent a little over a year living in Ahmedabad, actually, in near some slum areas and in some village areas, uh, and I spent a lot of time at the Gandhi ashram. And you know, Mahatma Gandhi really cared about sanitation and believed that it, you know, had the power to transform a nation in terms of hygiene, in terms of self-respect. And so, I kind of had an eye towards toilets in some ways. And that's when I first got introduced to this idea that sanitation mattered. You know, fast forward a couple of years, and I'm doing my doctoral program, and I was doing some field work for an education microfinance project, and I was visiting a number of schools. And so, you know, the first school we went to, I just asked one of the girls, I said, oh, where, where do you go to the bathroom? And she pointed behind some bushes. And so then I started asking everywhere, everywhere that I went, both at uh, uh, households and at schools, and that's when the story started to come out. You know, one girl would point behind some bushes and say, oh, you know, Jyothi used to go behind there, but the boys came and did bad things to her and so she can no longer come to school. And, you know, I'm so scared that that could happen to me that I don't eat or drink. Sometimes I feel faint or dizzy or can't concentrate in class, but, you know, it's certainly better than the alternative. Or, you know, during a household interview, a 12-year-old girl talking about the wonders of education. And I say, well, look, you know, it's during the school day. Why aren't you at school? And she would reply, oh, well, you know, I had to miss school a few days each month because of my period. And I missed my exams. They wouldn't let me retake them. And so I failed out. And so you would hear these stories again and again. And so I started thinking, wow, you know, when we're thinking about increasing educational attainment or improving child outcomes – there could be something as fundamental as just not having access to privacy and therefore safe space to, you know, relieve yourself. And beyond that, I mean, sanitation, you know, could provide great health impacts such that, you know, if it's decreasing soil pollution or groundwater contamination, then, you know, you're not going to have issues that, Such as diarrhea or eye trachoma or whatever, that many of the Mm -hmm. issues that these communities face, thus leading to negative impacts on education.
1: Mm -hmm. And you found this was prevalent. This was the status quo across India. So over
0: half of Indian schools don't have any kind of access to sanitation facilities. And this was in 2002. And, you know, this statistic has really persisted in many ways, despite many latrine construction initiatives, such that now, actually, just recently during Indian Independence Day in August, Prime Minister Narendra Modi, made a commitment saying, you know, every school in India should have separate latrines for boys and girls by the end of the year. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this is something which many governments have talked about and tried to do. And it seems like he is really trying to push this forward. And hopefully there's going to be something addressing, you know, going beyond construction and thinking about maintenance and latrine use. How do you really change behavior such that, you know, children and families think this is an important thing. You know, one thing, a, a natural question is, you know, gee, if if we believe sanitation uh, is so important, why don't all schools have it? You know, people are intelligent beings. And so, you know, if they really think it was important, they would do it. And Mariel Snell from the International Rescue Committee, she calls it innocent ignorance. And this is something actually that I, I certainly found during my, my field visits where, you know, I would ask headmasters a long list of questions. And when I got to the question about sanitation facilities, time after time, headmasters were surprised that I would even ask about, you know, why do you care about latrines? Why do you care about sanitation facilities? You know, kids, they're on regimented schedules. They either go before they come to school or after they go home from school. And if they really need to go during the day, they just go out in the You know, beautiful open like we've been doing for centuries, and there's nothing wrong with that. And so there was this idea that it's better to go out in the open Mm. because it's clean. It's nature. It's what we've been doing. There's nothing wrong with it. Mm
1: -hmm. So in India, how is sanitation generally thought to figure in to education?
0: Um, So, to give you a sense of the underlying problem, one in five children of upper primary school age remain out of school in the world. And this problem is especially stark in India, which is home to 25% of the out-of-school children in the world. And girls in developing countries are disproportionately affected with a quarter of them not completing primary school. Now… In dealing with issues of gender inequality, some academics and policymakers have focused on the idea that menstruation creates an obstacle to female schooling, thus contributing to high dropout rates among pubescent-age girls. I call this the menstruation hypothesis, Mm -hmm. and this belief has motivated efforts to provide sex-specific sanitation in schools with the idea that it can improve the school environment for a girl during her menstrual period each month. Now, um, you know, an overly narrow focus on a girl's few menstrual days might obscure the larger everyday issues of health, privacy, and safety that both girls and boys may face. So in this study, I was interested in understanding how improving the health, privacy, and safety of the school environment through sanitation could influence the educational decisions of children across different ages. Mm-hmm. And specifically, uh, my main analysis examined how school latrine construction impacted student outcomes. So using this a change in um, change in national Indian policy and new annual administrative data on 140,000 Indian schools, the data that I talked about earlier that was rescued from that monkey, uh, (laughs) um, I actually found that school latrine construction increased school enrollment and the number of students who passed state board exams. And these effects actually persisted three years after construction, despite the fact that the impact of many education interventions uh, fade quickly over time.
1: So tell me more about this program that you looked at. Why were these latrines suddenly being built?
0: a large amount of resources have been devoted towards the school construction of school latrines in India through a national initiative called the School Sanitation and Hygiene Education Program. Mm-hmm. And what
1: brought that about?
0: So what brought that about initially was that in uh, in 1999, the government of India really wanted to eradicate open defecation. And uh, one way that they identified that they could do so was to involve schools and encourage them to provide school sanitation facilities. Mm-hmm. And this initiative was really bolstered by the Millennium Development Goals, in which it was suggested that school sanitation could actually help them achieve four of their goals, increasing school participation, increasing um, you know, gender equality, you know, generally, and especially in education, combating disease and ensuring environmental sustainability through the containment of waste. Okay. Um, and then in 2003, you know, until 2003, they actually didn't provide many resources to actually pro- to construct these latrines. So in 2003, they provided full funding to schools, which then you actually see this very large jump where, you know, each year 70,000 schools were Constructing latrines. And this was actually done by the Ministry of Drinking Water and Sanitation, not by education officials. And so there was no trade-off between, oh, you know, you either get a sanitation facility or you get a chalkboard. Uh, it was really a sanitation hmm. initiative. Um, and the only kinds of resources that the ministry had at its disposal were either water or sanitation related.
1: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned there's a significant net increase in enrollment and these other things, which is which is big. But you also found that the outcomes are a little different for students of different ages and of different sexes. So talk to me about how you broke that down.
0: Right. So I find that the construction of school latrines increases enrollment and lowers dropout for all students. I find that girls generally benefit more than boys from the construction of school latrines. And I also find that younger children experience greater benefits than older children from the construction of school latrines, which is seemingly at odds with much of the academic and policy discourse around this issue.
1: Right. As you were saying earlier, you might, you maybe would expect the biggest benefit for the older kids, uh, girls who are worried about menstruation, that kind of thing, but that was not the case. So were you able to parse out why you're seeing this sort of counterintuitive finding?
0: So to try to understand the mechanisms underlying these impacts, it's useful to consider latrine type. So some schools received resources to build unisex latrines which are shared between boys and girls, and some schools received resources to build separate sex-specific latrines, so separate facilities for boys and girls. Now these estimates are naturally going to be more suggestive because of selection bias concerns as to which schools received latrines of different types. And what I find is that unisex latrines are relatively sufficient for younger children with relatively smaller additional gains from the construction of sex-specific latrines, which implies that any impacts reflect large effects from child health. However, at older ages, latrine type seems to matter greatly. Pubescent age girls respond very little from the construction of unisex latrines, but they benefit substantially from the construction of separate sex-specific latrines, which suggests that their decisions may be driven by privacy and safety concerns. And and one other thing just on that is that understanding these differential impacts is not only useful in illustrating potential mechanisms, but it's also of practical importance in deciding where to direct scarce resources.
1: Right.
0: So, you know, it's, it's important to understand when a unisex latrine is sufficient and when separate-sex-specific latrines are necessary.
1: So you also looked at this from the teacher's angle, right? Uh, what kind of effects did you find latrines are having on the teachers?
0: Work by various... Uh, academics indicates that one reason why female teachers may be absent from school is to the absence of sanitation facilities. So teacher absence rates in India can be up to 30% um, where they don't even show up 30% of the time teacher absence is a really big issue because being a teacher in India, uh, if you're a government teacher, you are guaranteed your job. So you don't have to show up and you still get paid. And so just Hmm. inducing them to come to school is a really big deal. And the ratio, the gender ratio among the teaching staff is two to one men to women. And so when parents of pubescent age women especially, think about sending their daughters to school and think, is this a safe environment for my daughter? If they believe that it's a male authority figure, they may be more concerned about their daughter's safety because of concerns of
1: harassment. And um, what's the mechanism by which this is keeping teachers on board?
0: So if you imagine that privacy begins to matter the most once puberty hits, well, it doesn't stop at pubescent age girls. You know, it also matters for older women as well. And so if a school doesn't have sanitation facilities, then you as a female teacher may be less and more, you know, less inclined to actually work Mm -hmm. at that school or to even show up for work every day. So, you know, the fact that I find that there was an increase in the share of female teachers at a school after the construction of latrines at that school, on average, you know, implies that teachers do care, female teachers do care about this amenity. And so to test that assumption that, oh, well, you know, maybe there were other things that were going on, I actually do a placebo test where I see whether or not teachers of different castes seem to be increasing their share. Because exante, Santee, I couldn't think of a reason why someone from one cast over the other would care more about sanitation facilities. And mm-hmm. I actually find no impacts uh, on any particular caste, But it's only for women uh, teachers mm. that you actually increase, which, you know, could imply – I mean, the increase in the share of female teachers could have potential benefits for female students as well mm-hmm. because it could serve as a signal for parents that this is a safer place for my daughter. One thing that I uh, find quite central to my results is the fact that boys are impacted. So when people talk about this issue, it's almost always framed as an issue for girls. And I think girls are critical. I actually think we really do need to think about gender parity and how is it that we can create equal opportunities for everyone. But I think part of that is not forgetting boys. You know, one pushback that some people have, um, or one criticism that people have sometimes Counter me with this: They say, "Why would boys ever be impacted by sanitation?" And in the child psychology literature, uh, you actually find that boys, especially younger boys, are most likely to be the victims of bullying. Um, Moreover, during my field interviews, uh, whenever I spoke with boys and asked them about their preferences and you know what influenced their educational decisions or their decisions generally. Anytime it came to something that would be a sensitive topic, they switched from talking about themselves to talking about a friend of theirs, to talking about their cousin or Mm. something that they heard about. And so I thought it was very striking to think about, you know, that these are issues that they actually may have been facing themselves, but there is a stigma for boys to talk about that they care about privacy or that they care about safety, especially once they get to puberty.
1: Right, right. So how do you know if it whether or not it is privacy that matters here, you know, versus health benefits or whatever other factors?
0: So, you know, if you believe that the mechanism through which a latrine is working is through improving child health, so you improve mm-hmm. the school environment and you make it a healthier place to be, then a unisex latrine should have the same benefits from a, as a sex-specific latrine. It's simply the containment of waste that matters. Right. But if privacy and safety are central to decision-making, then the construction of sex-specific latrines should matter, and you shouldn't see any benefit from unisex latrines. And so the fact that unisex latrines matter for them means that something about the containment of waste matters. You know, it's simply suggestive evidence of of the mechanisms, because to actually measure privacy and safety is much more difficult. And so these are proxies for, you know, seeing what is their revealed preference? What is
1: it that could influence their decisions? Uh And to dig a little more into what your findings mean exactly, without getting too, you know, research wonky, uh, can you be reasonably sure that what you're seeing is going to hold up across India or across other developing countries?
0: you know, it's much harder to extrapolate the findings from a small-scale study where you only study 12 households. Whereas because I have 140,000 schools across 269 districts and nine states in India, um, you know, I'm able to examine the geographic heterogeneity in my impacts across, you know, regions with very different cultural norms and different income levels. There are relatively low-income districts and – relatively middle income districts. And I actually find that there's a similar impact of a latrine across all of these districts. So it's not that my findings are only restricted to to a small, to one particular context. You can actually say that the impact of a latrine is similar whether you are very poor, your median income, uh, you could look at gender parity and you actually can find that, you know, the impact of latrine is similar whether you have high gender parity or low gender parity um, as measured by, you know, the ratio of enrolled girls to boys in a on average in a district or the sex ratio um, of women to men. So one thing in my research that's really important to me is that, you know, I write an academic paper, obviously, but also that, more importantly, that it has some policy impact and that it matters to some community somewhere. And I was really excited when last spring I was contacted by the World Bank and UNICEF, uh, among other organizations, to present my findings to them. And since then, I've been working very closely with UNICEF to think about ways to disseminate these findings and actually expand the research, and especially in the light of the Prime Minister's initiative in India to expand access to sanitation facilities um, to all schools. You know, I've been working with them much more to think about how can this be done in a systematic fashion and What are the lessons that we've learned from research? And how can evidence inform what's actually happening on the ground?
1: Right. And as you mentioned earlier, um, on August 15th of this year, India's Independence Day, Prime Minister Modi called on Indians to take a new stand for sanitation in India. Uh, He invoked Mahatma Gandhi and his legacy. Uh, He said, brothers and sisters, you must be getting shocked to hear the prime minister speaking of cleanliness and the need to build toilets from the ramparts of the Red Fort." Uh, he then calls on the government as well as the corporate sector to contribute. And then he even sets a deadline that on the next 15th August, we should be in a firm position to announce that there is no school in India without separate toilets for boys and girls. Wh- what do you make of this? I mean, this this seems like a big step.
0: It's an ambitious goal, and it's an exciting goal,
1: and it's wonderful to
0: have the spotlight on such an important issue such as sanitation. I think sanitation is an understudied Underappreciated issue. Uh, You know, 80% of illnesses in the world are due to waterborne sources. And, you know, if we can improve sanitation or increase or improve access to good sanitation everywhere, I think we could solve many health issues uh, or at least kind of get to the crux um, of many of these issues.
1: Now, Is this one-year goal feasible?
0: So I think that the one-year goal is ambitious. Uh, I'm a bit concerned that, you know, two years down the road we'll have crumbling buildings or unused facilities, and I think or I hope that the prime minister and his team heed calls from the NGO community and academics who are working with them to incorporate policies related to maintenance, thinking about behavior change, thinking about, you know, first and or you know, ultimately, are children going to use these? Are adults going to use these? And, you know, will this be reinforced also at the household level? The the biggest issue, I think, is that we need to understand why people don't use latrines and try to get at the heart of, of understanding what influences their decisions and From there, that can actually help influence how we design the actual latrines that are put into place, you know, in different communities. And so this one-year goal highlights the urgency of the situation, um, but I hope that it is just the beginning of a much longer sustained campaign that can slowly be incorporated into the, you know, the fabric of people's everyday lives. Um, We can show, oh, look – 500,000 latrines built, but if in the end they're being used as cow sheds or not used at all,
1: then what have we really accomplished? How about beyond India? What is, is this a endemic problem beyond South Asia? Um, Absolutely. Is... This is a
0: problem all around the world. And, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, improved sanitation is a goal that many NGOs have been working towards. But beyond that, actually, I was quite struck when I was doing a review of the literature, I found that there were issues around sanitation in places like Sweden and in the UK. I was at Uh, a conference in Arizona a few years ago and I visited some local schools and in one of the schools that I visited it just so happened that the restrooms had been shut down because they had run out of toilet paper and they weren't clean and so they were just pretty gross places to be and so it was striking to me to think that this is not just um, another country's issue this is something that even here in the US we face, I mean actually if you look in the early 1800s uh, there were many schools that didn't have any kind of sanitation facility, not even an outhouse, and so there was a big campaign by the Rockefellers to actually build sanitation facilities. And so, and you know, um, in various places like in Massachusetts, uh, they tried to um, think about ways that they could clean the waters and, and improve sanitation, uh, which you know some are potentially linking to um, to increased uh, to. I suppose, some are potentially linking to decreased child mortality. Uh, mm. So, you know, this is an issue that the U.S. grappled with, even you know, a little over a century ago. Mm-hmm. So, it wasn't that long ago that the U.S. was also grappling with these issues.
1: Right. Um, what are sort of next steps that you're looking at? Where are you? Where do you see this research heading for yourself or for others?
0: So, my current work examines how the provision of basic needs through schools can improve student outcomes. So basic needs such as sanitation or clothing or transportation, you know, there are many villages, for example, that are connected by roads that get washed out in the monsoons every year. And so you can imagine what that necessarily does for a village that you can't have resources come in and you can't really have people leave necessarily. And so, you know, there was a big government initiative where they wanted to connect unconnected villages with all-season paved roads. And so I'm currently working with some co-authors to look at, um, you know, the impacts of road construction on educational investment and teacher mobility patterns and so. And just in general, I'm interested in teachers' decisions and, you know, what – and teacher mobility issues such that, you know, if – a teacher isn't at school, then a school is essentially closed. And so therefore, access to education is not a reality for students. You may have students enrolled, but again, if the school's not open, then it doesn't really matter. So how do we make ensure that teachers are actually able to come to school or incentivized to come to school. So does it matter what the working conditions are? Does it matter if you're able to get there via some transportation scheme? Does it matter if there's a big work fair program that might you know, induce your spouse to stay in a particular village so therefore you're more likely to show up every day?
1: So all this work that you're doing, is there anything you've learned about the nuance of doing research in these different places?
0: So I don't think that it's different to work in India, in Chicago, in, you know, Kenya. I mean, there are language differences and there are cultural differences, but in the end, people are people and, you know, we're all driven by fundamental human needs. And in many ways, actually, this idea of fundamental human needs really drives my research. I mean, you know, you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and what's at the very base of the pyramid, right? It's things like, Do you have food? Do you have water? Do you have shelter? Do you have security? And until you can think about obtaining these very, very basic needs, you can't think about higher order issues. And so, you know, that's the title of my dissertation, the role of basic needs uh, and educational decisions. And in decisions, period, if if a family can't think about, can't think beyond their own immediate needs, how can they think about investment outside of the home or outside of the issues that immediately face them? So while I use a lot of large datasets in my work to understand the average effects across a large population, I also find it critical that I complement all of my work with qualitative work as well. Right. So visiting the field, actually talking to the constituents who are part of any policy change or any intervention. Um, So, you know, what do students think about it? What do parents think about something? What about teachers? You know, what about the panchayat who is the head of a village? You know, how does this change decisions for the different stakeholders who are involved? And as I mentioned, schools could build sex-specific latrines for boys and girls. They could build unisex latrines that were shared between boys and girls. But there was a group of schools that also only built latrines for girls. Hmm. Now, you would expect ex ante that this would have no impact on boys. Why would the construction of a girls-only latrine have any impact on boys? And certainly, when you look at the impact on, enro- on educational outcomes for pubescent-age boys, you see no impact after the construction of a girls-only latrine. But for younger boys, so pre-pubescent-age boys – And when I say prepubescent, I mean first through fifth graders. You actually see that their enrollment increases just as much as if you build a unisex latrine. Mm. And you wonder, well, what's going on here? But that's because when you actually visit a first grade or second grade classroom, teachers say, look, it doesn't matter to me whether a boy or a girl uses the latrine. At that age, privacy is not a central concern. And so boys and girls just go next to each other regardless of the designation of a sanitation facility. And without and without having visited schools myself, I might have thought maybe there was a blip in the data, there's something wrong going on. Right. But it actually makes perfect sense when you actually look at what's happening.
1: And you got that from speaking to the teachers in particular? And
0: observing it and seeing that younger kids were just using it regardless of the designation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even in places with separate sex-specific latrines, often you would just see children just piling into any latrine that was available. Huh. I had visited an Anganwadi, which is actually preschool uh, for children, and... In some of those places, you actually saw that it was a feature that kids loved to see each other go to the bathroom because a lot of them were being potty trained or they were just learning how to use how to use a toilet. And so it was uh, it was kind of a it was a show. So how fun! That's a cool thing to do. <laughs> I want to do that too. And um, so it just became um, not something which kids were to be ashamed of, but more uh, a pride that look what I can do. One thing about working with communities is that It's really important to be thoughtful that these are real people too and that you can't just go in and assume that they're interview subjects and why aren't you answering my questions and why aren't you dropping everything to answer the way that I want? I mean, you know, they're living their lives and, you know, taking the time to actually get to know people will then allow you later on to gain even deeper insights potentially into what's going on because you see what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. You see the nuanced ways that they make their decisions and and what influences their decisions in particular directions, and then, therefore, what might influence the way that they answer questions. You know, I feel like I've learned more from just observing people than just asking them outright.
1: Professor Adukia, welcome once again to Chicago Harris, and thank you for joining me.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was a pleasure.
1: Thanks for tuning in. We are delighted to announce that Radio Harris is now officially on iTunes and Stitcher, as well as SoundCloud. To stay up to date on the newest episodes, make sure you subscribe. Let us know what you thought of today's episode on SoundCloud or on Twitter or on Facebook. And, as always, please share with a friend you think might be interested. Today's episode was produced by me, Jake Smith, with music from Christian Bjorklund and A Smile for Timbuktu. Until next time, this is Radio Harris.